the opportunity to come and worship together and have a copy of the Word of God. So let's open it up tonight. Let's go back to Lamentations chapter number 4. Lamentations chapter 40. It's good to see you here tonight, uh, especially after being out last week with all that we had going on with the virus. Uh, I believe God honored that. I really do. I uh, had no new cases in our church this week and I believe we did what we needed to do uh, in that scenario that we might be able to come back and worship together again. And it's good to see you here tonight praying for our people. A lot of people tuning in tonight. I checked there just a moment ago before service. So a lot of people tuning in. A lot of our families can't be with us tonight. You pray for them. And what a comfort it is. I was one of them just a few weeks ago. Uh, I was one of those people who couldn't come to church. It meant so much to me to know there are people here on a Wednesday night praying for me. So continue to pray for them. Uh, a lot of folks have a lot of needs. Brother Bill got broke up today. I meant to catch with AJ before prayer request time and tell him uh, that we were going to come up with a really good story, that there was a kid out in the road and he was trying to save their life and he got hit by a bus trying to save somebody's life. But I didn't catch it in time. So Ms. Shelley, I apologize. I didn't catch it in time to have a good heroic story. But you pray for our folks that are away. Pray for our military. Brother AJ mentioned that. We have folks right in our congregation they're in the midst of a whole lot of headache right now, and you pray for them. And uh, Matthew's boys, where are they at tonight? They're back there. Uh, we, had, we gained one for a little while, but now we're about to lose two. So I think that's a net loss. Their last service with us here for a little while. And uh, glad to have Brother Bryce back with us and, and Brother Tyler heading off to college. You pray for them uh, as they go and they get a little extra sharpening to become those tools that God would have them to be. Other students that are heading off to college. Talked to Brother Hesterman today and uh, one of his is heading off to college. Pray for our young people that God would help them to be the witness they need to be while they're there. And Lord knows a lot of our colleges uh, need that. Uh, Lamentations chapter 4 tonight. Uh, we finished in chapter 3 last week, and there's a lot of things that are repeated, a lot of repetitive themes that we have already covered. Uh, and besides, I told Brother Bo when I was giving him my notes this afternoon, I'm running out of L's, to be honest with you. I'm ready to get to chapter 5. I'm running out of L's, and I'm going to have to start really, really stretching it to make all of these end in L. But when you've come four chapters already in L's, you've got to just keep them going, okay? Lamentations chapter 4, look at verse 1, look at verse number 2. As we continue tonight in our lessons and lamentations and I had a busy 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 day today so that usually means a little thinner outline so we'll see how this goes okay no promises verse 1 <clears throat> how is the gold become dim now I want you to notice some punctuation at the end of that usually when you see the word how it means it's a question but no this is an emphatic statement how is the gold become dim how is the most fine gold changed? Notice, not a question mark, exclamation point. The Bible says the stones of the sanctuary are poured out in the top of every street. The precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how are they esteemed as earthen pitchers, the work of the hands of the potter, exclamation point. Boy, you can almost hear him raising his voice as he brings these points to life. And I pray tonight the Lord's going to help us in the message see what God wants us to understand here because this is truly applicable for the times we're living in right now. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for allowing us to be back in the building tonight. Thank you for keeping us safe this week. That Father, there's no new cases uh, within our congregation. I pray that you bless those that are still dealing with this. And Lord, as Brother A.J. prayed so, so eloquently, Father, those that are dealing with the sickness, Lord, not only physically, protect them spiritually as they're away from us. Bring us all back together soon. Help us not be weary in our well-doing as we strive to do your will in these times. Thank you for your word. Help us through it tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've been praying about the messages lately and preparing the messages lately, uh, some while I was down and sick, uh, some since we've been back, as we've been finishing out some of the thoughts the Lord's giving us, uh, I've begun to notice that there is a familiar theme 
being repeated in the messages, okay? Uh, now, I pray they don't all sound the same, all right? I hope they sound a little bit different. Uh, but there is a continual theme as we go through this uh, that I believe the Lord is trying to drive something home. Now, I don't know about you, but my dad didn't repeat things a lot. My dad did not uh, believe in repeating things a lot. He, I told you before, he kind of had this rule that uh, when he said it once, he kind of expected obedience. He really did. Now, it doesn't mean he wasn't merciful and gracious for the times that I had a little bit more wax in my ears and didn't hear him as well as other times, but he expected obedience the first time. But if he did have to repeat himself, that meant he's trying to drive a point home to me. Now, I believe tonight we'd be negligent not to see that there is a common repetitive theme uh, over the last several weeks of messages that the Lord's trying to drive something home to us. Now, I believe he wants us to realize something that perhaps we haven't realized yet. Isn't that why we repeat things? We repeat things over and over because it's something that we haven't grasped yet, and I believe the Lord's trying to drive something home to me, and I believe he's trying to drive something home to us uh, as we go through this season of difficulty. Now, as we continually look at the book of Lamentations, what we're noticing here, when you really boil it all down to it, the book of Lamentations is a book that's showing us nothing less than the side effects of sin. You look in the book of Lamentations, and we see all of these continual waves of grief and strife and heartache. And folks, it sounds very familiar, doesn't it? I think we learned back in 2020 not to say, what could happen next? I think we've learned not to ask that. And if you are still asking that, please stop. Earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, sickness, uh, people passing away. I mean, economic problems and political problems, one thing after another. Please quit asking that question. Why? Uh, because I don't think we've begun to see what the judgment of God could look like if we don't sooner than later grasp the message of what God's trying to tell us in his judgment. Now, folks, when we look at lamentations, we're seeing the side effects of sin. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about a side effect, I naturally think medicine, right? Right? You ever taken a medicine and it had a funny side effect to it? Uh, when I went to the hospital, I got a shot while I was there, some kind of a steroid, and it messed up my voice, uh, and my voice would squeak when I would start to talk. My voice is still not back 100%. There was a side effect to it, okay? And you see all of those commercials, and all those commercials, you know, they're trying to help you get over the hangnail that you have, but the side effect may cause heart attacks or, or something like that, and you're trying to decide, do I want to take the medicine and weigh out the risk versus reward with the side effects, okay? Now, understand tonight, sin is no different. Every time we sin, by the way, we sin willfully because the devil can't make you do anything because greater is he that's in you than he's in the world, okay? And so no matter how much we want to say it, that the devil made me do it, the devil didn't make you do anything, you're just blaming on him what you chose to do with your own free will. Every time we sin, we knowing, listen, if you've been raised in church any amount of time, you know there are consequences to sin, correct? I believe we all understand that. Even in our most deep state of rebellion, we understand that when we sin, there are ramifications and consequences. But here's what we do. Here's what we do. We weigh it out in our head, don't we? Now, folks, look, don't make me be the only sinner in the room tonight. We weigh it out. All right, God, I'm just going to skip out on one service and I'm hoping that's not going to get me the death penalty. Surely not, right? God's not going to strike me dead for missing one church service. And so thankful tonight we have a merciful and gracious God. And most likely he's not going to strike you dead. But we weigh it out. Whether or not we're going to transgress the will and the word of God. But then we're automatically accepting the consequences. 
when Jerusalem and God's people have sinned, they have automatically accepted the consequences that come along with that. Now, folks, if we'll be honest with something tonight, so much of what we're going through, we don't realize is truly all fall back to the root of sin. That's it, all right? Now, look, we get caught up, talked about it Sunday, not going to re-preach that one, okay? But we get caught up in arguing over the results of sin when truly we should be arguing about the root of sin, okay? You look at so much of what we're going through, the economics, the political, uh, I mean, uh, the, the economy being strained the way it is, uh, the virus, the vaccine, and all these things, look, it all ultimately boils down to the result of sin, right? And we get distracted with the results of sin, and we neglect the root of sin. Now, here's what's happening in Lamentations. When we read Lamentations, and we read all of the bad things that are happening, I mean, wave after wave after wave of the judgment of God, we're thinking, man, God is giving us an illustrative picture here of the results of sin. He is. But he wants us to take it backwards one step. He doesn't just want us to see what happens when we sin. He wants us to take that all the way back and say, look, it's a root of sin that brought that about. And if you want to kill the tree, you've got to kill the root. And that's how we're going to remedy the problem that we're facing today. Now, I read something today by George Mason, and a wonderful quote from a founding father. He says, as nations cannot be rewarded or punished in the next world. Now, speaking meaning we're not going to stand together as Americans. We'll stand as individuals, as Christians, before the judgment seat of Christ, okay? So we're not going to stand as Americans. We'll stand as individual Christians. So as nations cannot be rewarded or punished in the next world, they must be in this. Here's what he said, one of the founders of our country. By an inevitable chain of causes and effects, providence punishes national sins by national calamities. Providence, speaking of God, punishes national sins by national calamities. Could we all agree tonight we're going through a national calamity? All right? That's the result of what God wants us to recognize, which is sin. God says, okay, you're dealing with the results and you're trying to cure the results. No, you need to go straight to the root, and the root of that is sin. The effects of sin should motivate us to go and remedy what's causing that. And that's in each and every one of our lives. When I was a young person, about the age of these, these over here, uh, I went to seminary high school, and uh, one day one of my classmates walked in with a horrible haircut. I mean, it was bad. It wasn't even. It was thick on one side, not thick on the other side. I mean, it was bad. And I just did what every teenager would do. I said, what happened to you? You know, I didn't know if I got in a fight with a weed eater or something, but it was bad. Here's what they told me. Well, they had this deal going on at the cosmetology school. We could come down and get our hair cut for $5. And I didn't have the money to go and get it at the barber shop, so $5, you know. And I looked at them, and, and I'm not sure they got what they paid for. I'm not sure. They got five, listen, they got $20 worth of mess, uh, but they didn't get $5 worth of a headache. And I thought about that this afternoon, that how truth that is. That's how sin works. That's how sin works. You're not going to get what you pay for. You're going to pay dearly. You're going to pay dearly, and you're not going to get more out of it. You're going to get less than you paid for. Now, folks, tonight, this is the lesson I believe God wants us to see. Sin always leaves you with less. Understand that. The end result of sin is always, always, always going to be less. Now, tonight, when we look at this passage of Scripture here, we see in two verses of how they are less 
in the end than they were in the beginning. Why? Because of sin. There's no way you can put your hand to sin and bring it back better than it was before you put your hand to sin. It's not going to happen. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. What does that mean? God's going to be right. And no matter, listen, how hard you try and how hard you work, you're not going to be able to have more in the end of sin than you had at the beginning of sin. So notice, if you will, tonight, we're going to look at this lesson of less, okay? I'm, I'm really having to stretch the L's now. The lesson of less. What we do when we see verse number one or verse number two, what we see is this. They are less now than they were before sin. I look at America. America's less now than we were before we embraced sin. We were never a perfect country. But at one point, we tried to honor God in this country. Today, I, I read through, I thumbed through the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the references to God and the Almighty and our Creator and divine. It's, it's all in there. And then America turned from that to sin. And you look at America today. America is less today than we were then. Why? Because of sin. So let's learn tonight, if we could, the lesson of less, and there's three things in these two verses tonight that I show you, you will have less of once you put your hand to sin. Look at verse one. How has the gold become dim? Notice that. How has the gold become dim? Now what's happening is Jeremiah is using an analogy to describe just how bad things are. And he compares this once splendid city to gold that has been tarnished, okay? The gold has become dim. Now will we all agree tonight that when something is tarnished, it's less than it was. Uh, in my, uh, my kitchen drawer, or my, actually my wife's kitchen drawer there with the silverware is at, uh, in the very back, I don't know why they're in the very back there, in the very back is an old silver spoon. I don't know if we got it at an antique store, junk store, or stole it somewhere, but we got this silver, silver uh, fork is what it is. And I went and got it out last night. I was looking at it in preparation for this message. I'm sure when that fork was made, it was beautiful. I'm sure it was shiny. But over the years of being used around our house and over the years of all the, the things it's probably gone through, it had these dark streaks on it. It's not shiny anymore. Do you know what it is? It's dim. It's become diminished. Now, we're seeing one of the first things that sin will leave you less of. And I want you to hear me out. This is one of the most important things tonight I believe we need to grasp. It's dim. Dim means it's no longer shiny. And that's the first thing you'll be left less of with when sin gets a hold. Number one, sin will leave you with less shine. Stick with me on this, okay? Sin will leave you with less shine. Here, listen, was the glorious, splendid city of God. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was the place that he had chosen, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 6.6, 6, but I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. Now watch this. The glory of the city reflected the greatness of their God. This beautiful, wonderful, and unimaginable city that God chose to place his name there is now sitting in rubble and the gold has become dim. What has happened? Sin has taken away its shine. Now folks, I want you to understand this tonight. Satan lives to take away anything out of your life that could be used to glorify God. Now I want you to let that thought sink in for a moment. Satan lives and breathes and goes up and down and to and fro in this earth to try to rob you of anything in your life that gives glory to God. 
Now this wonderful, beautiful city that he had set his name there now sits in rubble and the shiny gold has become dim. Why? Because sin will always take away your shine. This is not a city that, that any, any longer glorifies God. Do you think rubble that we preached about Sunday glorifies God? No, it doesn't. Rubble doesn't glorify God. Listen, the temple glorified God. The beautiful gold glorified God. But now it's in rubble and now it's dim. Why? Because of sin. Sin will always take away your shine. Sin will take away anything out of your life that you could have used to glorify God. I thought about this this afternoon. Uh, a while back, we were flying back from Montana, going through the TSA checkpoints. you got to love those, right? Going through there, and man, the first one you go through, they ask you questions. The second one you go through, I guess I just have one of those faces. Miley does too because they always seem to bust her. And we get pulled off the side to be special. I'll assure you, listen, if they tell you you're special, there's nothing special about it. Go over there and check in your pockets. Do you have this? Do you have that? I mean, look, do you think I can hide anything in my hair? They're thumbing through my hair. I'm like, what do you think I'm going to do? You know, I'm not Chuck Norris. I can't take a bobby pin and create a bazooka out of it, all right? There's nothing up there. Nothing up there. Man, taking off my jacket, checking my wallet, checking my shoes. I mean, they are checking me over, and they got Miley too. Why? They don't want you to have anything on you as you go through there that could be a threat. Nothing. Nothing at all. And they make sure they're going to put you through all kind of rigmarole. Why? Because they're going to make sure that you're carrying nothing on your person that can be a threat to them or anybody else on that plane. And I assure you that Satan has a similar process. He's going to put you through all kind of troubles and trials and temptations and trouble in your life. Why? He wants to rob you of anything that you could use to be a threat to him. He's, listen, he's going to try to pick your pockets. I couldn't help but think about our young people tonight. And I'm so glad you guys all set together. That way you're an easy target, all right? Just shoot in that direction. No, I love them. I, I really, really do. I couldn't help but think about them as I was preparing tonight. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. What does the Bible say? Let no man despise thy youth. But then he gives us a grocery list of things for our young people. By the way, uh, you never grow out of these, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa either. So you might write them down as well. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I looked over that list and I thought to myself, there's just about every bullseye target that the devil comes after them with. What is it? In word. And then in conversation, that's the lifestyle. Why does the devil go after our young people so much? To diminish, to diminish their life and their lifestyle while they're young. He doesn't want them to be used for the glory of God. He says, I've got to knock the shine off. That's why Paul tells Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. Listen, he's bracing him for the attack that's coming as a young man because he knows the devil's coming after him in these areas. Why? Because those are areas you can glorify God. You know, you can glorify God in word. You know, you can shine in word. Even if you don't have shiny teeth, you can shine in word. You can glorify God with your words. You can. So the devil says, I've got to go after that. I've got, to, I've got to tarnish their mouth. And the devil puts stuff in their ears that comes out of their mouth. Go on to read. What does it say in conversation? That's lifestyle. 
sit in front of a television, we're watching and adopting the lifestyle of the world. Of the world. Listen, it's no mistake. He's attacking our young people in their conversation or lifestyle. Why? He does not want them to glorify God. He doesn't want them to shine. He wants them to be as the gold in verse number one. How has the gold become dim? He wants every one of y'all to become dim. He really does. No, intellectually, look, I can't help you there. But spiritually, you don't have to be dim. Look, intellectually, you can only do with what God gave you. But God wants you to shine. And so the devil's coming after you. Keep reading. In charity, in spirit. Have you ever watched a young person? Happy-go-lucky, carefree. Just, you know, be bopping around the world. Just happy. And all of a sudden, as they get older, their countenance gets hard. And their spirit gets sour. You know what happened? You know what happened? They lost their shine. They lost their shine. Somewhere, the enemy got in, and they were tarnished. Boy, the last one, you can't preach enough impurity we live in a an overly sexualized society and he targets these young people and he targets them why he doesn't want any of them to glorify god through a pure testimony oh no can i tell you how wonderful it is for you to be able to stand down here and and, and you make a vow to one another actually we stand up here don't we? we don't stand down there that's where you are when you die okay you're up here when you get married all right same difference, right? No. All right, you stand up here. Amen, Brother Michael. <laughs> Help me out. Brother Michael was my only laugh last week, okay? His place was empty, so Brother Michael was my only laugh. It's hard when there's not much of a laugh. So you're standing here knowing, knowing that you maintain your purity. You hold on to it. You know what that is? That shines. That shines. And God wants to use us through our shine, but the devil wants to abuse us by tarnishing us. Isaiah 14, 12. I was reading this this afternoon. It jumped off the page to me. We're reading about the fall of Lucifer. Do you know what the name Lucifer means? Shining one. There was a time that even Lucifer, the archangel, in the presence of God, he shined or shone. Shined or shone. You know what I mean. It's been a long day. It's been a long week. It's been a long year. All right. He shined. And all of a sudden, listen, the Bible says, Isaiah 14, 12, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? What happened? He lost his shine. Now he's the father of darkness, and he's going to spend eternity in darkness. Why? Sin stole his shine. So number one tonight, what will sin leave you less of? Sin will leave you with less shine. Why has the devil attacked America so hard through the years? Well, I think Ronald Reagan understood it well when he says we were that shining city on a hill. There was a, listen, the reason America has been in the bullseye of Satan's target is because America was the shining city on a hill. We were shining, listen, God, listen, and references to God all woven through our founding documents. But the devil says, I've got to stop that shine. And we're no longer the shining city on the hill. Listen, we're the shack at the bottom of the rubbish heap. Why? Because sin has stolen our shine. And just as he's doing it to America, he's going to do it to our homes. In Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 15, this is what we're supposed to be, that you may be blameless and harmless. What does that mean? That means keep your hands off of sin. Why? Keep reading. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Do you know what we're left here to do? Let's boil it down to deep theology tonight. We're left here to shine. 
We're left here to shine. That's what we're left here to do, all right? Not here left to argue and to debate. We're here to shine. What did he call us in Matthew 5? We're the lights of the world. The lights of the world. He left us here to shine. Why, listen, was Jerusalem the city that he set his name there? He says, look, I want you to represent me and shine. Do you know who the Bible says we are? We are Christians. They were first called Christians at Antioch. Do you know why they were called Christians? There was something about them that reminded people of Christ. There was something shining. I don't know if they were the smartest people, the prettiest people, the most wealthy people, but they were shining. We were in Florida, St. Augustine, one of our favorite places to go a while back. We went to the St. Augustine Lighthouse, where the Nate's been there, I believe, a couple times. And uh, 296 steps are a lot higher than you think. I'll just go ahead and tell you that if you should decide to climb it. Got all the way up there to the top, we're looking at it, and I was looking at the lenses on this beautiful, beautiful lighthouse out there over the Atlantic Ocean. And I read this story, you know, about how that lighthouse, how long it's been there and the job that it's done. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? If you really wanted to sabotage all those ships out there who needed that lighthouse, you know, you don't have to bulldoze the lighthouse down. All you have to do is dirty the lenses. And I want you to think about that. If you want to make that lighthouse ineffective, you don't have to come in with dynamite and blow it up and knock it down. If you want to take that lighthouse out, you don't have to bulldoze it down. You just have to let the lenses get dirty. And now it's been rendered ineffective. Because if a lighthouse doesn't shine, can I tell you something? It's not going to be much useful to those that are out there in the world and out there on the sea. We're a lighthouse. Central Baptist Church is a lighthouse. Folks, listen, this is why holiness and separation and righteousness still matter to God. Why? Because we're useless to those that are out there in the choppy seas of the world if we don't keep our lenses clean. And what does sin do? Sin will leave you with less shine. I, I really do have to hurry. I did a little study on gold this week, and I've always heard that gold doesn't tarnish, so I wanted to make sure I was right so I didn't give you any unfactual information, okay? I would hate for Facebook to uh, correct me on that. And I did some reading on that. Some of you will catch it later. I did some reading on gold. And pure gold will not tarnish. Pure gold will not tarnish. But because we're smart people, we've learned to mix things in with gold to create an alloy. Okay? We'll mix in uh, a little silver. We'll mix in other elements. Why? Because it makes the gold go a little bit further. You know? It's in, and you get to make more money that way. And when we start mixing things in with the gold, impure gold will tarnish you start mixing things in with it it'll tarnish and folks we look at the church today we look at our homes like could we be honest tonight we look at our homes today and they're tarnished the windows on the lighthouse are not clean the lights not getting out why we've started mixing things in I've told you before we could fill this place up every Sunday morning every Sunday night and every Wednesday night pack out the balcony put people in overflow in the choir rooms. We could do that. You say, well, if we had a better preacher, we could. Okay, that's possible. But we could do it. So you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take 85% of what we believe and 15% of what they like, and we're going to blend it together. And, man, they're going to come. And they will, and they will, but we can't help them. Why? Because now we've become dirty with them. We're impure. And that's where the tarnish comes from. Number one. Let's work through this real quick because we've got to get you guys home. Number one, sin will leave you with less shine. Keep reading verse one. Give you the second one. The Bible says, how is the most fine gold changed? And then it says, the stones of the sanctuary are poured out in the top of every street. Now, now he's referencing the sanctuary. 
The illustration is now building on that beautiful gilded temple that's now been ransacked. It's been burned. The gold has melted out into the streets. Sin not only destroyed the city, but watch this. Sin also destroyed what was sacred. Sin destroyed what was sacred. The second thing that sin will leave you less of, number two, sin will make you less sacred. Sin will make you less sacred. Now, this is important. I want to help you understand the difference between point one and point number two. Point number one deals with and helps us recognize what we're separated from. Hey, stay away from things that are going to tarnish you. Why? Because tarnished windows and dirty windows in a lighthouse do no one else any good. So, we, watch this. Stay away from those things. But this point number two about being sacred, listen, God called us out not just from something. God called us out for something. Now, when we read this word sacred, it simply means this, set aside for service. Set aside for service. So not only, listen, will sin take away your shine, sin will also rob you of what is sacred, and what is sacred means you are set aside from service. Now, as a child of God, each and every one of us tonight should genuinely desire, even when we drifted away from God, to be used of God and in his service. I think the most backslidden person in here are watching on live stream tonight. There's a little fire burning deep down inside that still wants to be used by God. But can I tell you something amazing about God? As undeserving as we are, God does want to use us, but God has a way he wants to use us. He does. So how do you know that? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2, listen close. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, that means separated or or sacred, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Now, what is that saying? That says, hey, it's wonderful that we want to be used by God. But God doesn't just use every vessel that shows up. You say, God, I showed up, therefore I deserve to be used. No, God says, I only use certain kind of vessels. Now, thank God you don't have to be perfect, or none of us would ever get used. But watch this. He said, you might not be a perfect vessel. Your handle may be a little bit loose. We all got one of those, right? Where the handle wiggles just a little bit. You tried flipping them uh, pancakes one too many times with your pan, and the handle wiggles, or uh, or maybe there's a ding in it. Or maybe you burn some spaghetti or something down there in the bottom of it and and there's a black dot that you have never been able to get out no matter what you tried. And it's not a perfect vessel. And God says you don't have to be a perfect vessel. I want you to be a clean vessel. Is that not what he said? He said if he'll purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. I know we hate the word, but in spite of popular belief, God has a standard for those that desire to be used. He does. I know it's not popular. Trust me. I know it's not popular. But God says, look, I have a criteria for those that desire to be used, and I want you to be sanctified or set apart. Romans chapter 12. I want you to turn with me right quick. I'm going to hurry, okay? Romans chapter number 12. I didn't get to preach for a whole month. I still have a little bit built up that I want to go, but we'll save that for Sundays. So make it a note. Don't be here Sunday. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. Is this Old Testament, New Testament? Somebody correct me. New Testament. Let's make sure. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Watch this. Here we go. Holy. What does that mean? Sanctified, separated, sacred, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What is God saying? 
God says, listen, I don't want you to go die and be an Old Testament sacrifice that's dead. I want you to be a living sacrifice. But here's what I want in my sacrifice. Listen, God has a right to demand what he wants out of his sacrifices. God has every right to demand what he wants out of us if we're going to be used by him. And God says, I want you to be clean. I want you to be sanctified. I want you to be sacred. But what has sin done? Go back to Lamentations 4. The Bible says the stones of the sanctuary, what was once sacred, is poured out on the top of every street. It's not sacred anymore. It was once sacred and a part of the temple of God and used, oh, what a special work that was. But now it's been spilled out into the street. It's not sacred anymore. Why? Sin will make you less sacred. What does that mean? Sin will make you less useful to God. So I'm just going to go live the way I want, do what I want. Folks, listen, if you're going to serve God, I want really can't enter in there anywhere. It's not what we want. It's not what we like. Folks, do you know how many times God's moved me in my family, in my life? I mean, my poor dear wife, I, she's had to pack up so many times, move around. Why? That was the will of God. Listen, there's requirements that come along with serving God. If I truly want to serve God, I'm willing to submit to whatever requirement. Why? Because serving him is paramount. God told me never to wear blue socks again. I'm not wearing blue ones tonight. God told me never to wear blue socks again. I'd never wear blue socks again. Why? Because serving him is paramount. I want to be used of God. But I've got to be used of God his way. Ezekiel chapter 44 spells out for us the requirements of the priest. And I want you to listen to this. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Do you know as a pastor... I'm not a priest, thank God. I mean, I think those collars would be so uncomfortable. I'm so glad I get to wear a manly tie with flowers on it because my wife liked it. And that's why we're wearing it tonight. Uh, amen. Amen. Do what you can for your wife because she likes it. I like it too. Folks, I, I'm not a priest. But part of the requirements as a pastor, it's my job to help our church understand the difference in the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Why? Because God wants to use you, but he wants to use you clean. God wants to use us for his glory. God wants to use us to shine and to help those that are out there in the troubled seas. But we can't do it if we're not clean. And what does sin do? It makes us less sacred. Number three. Number three. Look down, if you would, at verse two. The precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how are they esteemed as earthen pitchers, the work of the hands of the potter? Now, here's what's interesting. Not only do, do we see God's perspective here, we read this, we know God is telling us exactly what's going on. God's not being dramatic. God's not blowing this out of proportion. God's giving us an accurate description of what's going on here. But not only do we see that, God also helps us see how other people are viewing it. So how do you know that? Look at the word esteemed. Other people are looking upon what was once shiny and what was once sacred and they're looking at it, and look, notice what they say. The precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how are they esteemed or looked upon as earthen pitchers? The work of the hands of the potter. Where at once they were looked upon and esteemed as fine gold, now they're looked upon as clay pots, People that were once recognized as something different and something special are now looked upon as ordinary. Why? Number three, sin will give you less significance. I don't know if that's what I put in the notes, guy. Sin will take away your significance. Sin will take away your significance. Now, here's what's amazing. 
God called them out from something. God called them to something. And it was their difference that made the significance. The difference in them and who God called them out to be, that's what made them significant. Now, folks, can we understand something tonight? People don't want more of the same of what they've got. In fact, I don't want more of the same of what we've been going through. I want something different. I want something better. But watch this. The world's looking for something better than what they already have. And the church, for some odd reason, thinks we've got to become what they are to reach them when they're looking for something they don't have. And so becoming like them doesn't help them. They're looking for something significant. Now, let me give you an example. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read about a significant young man before we close. The Bible says, And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. When the Bible says there was none like them, could we say they were significant? There was none like them. By the way, these aren't their best friends telling them that. This is the foreign country they're living in, and they are esteemed as none like them. Therefore stood they before the king, listen, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better. Would you call that significant? All right? Now look, if you're wanting to trade me a dollar for a dollar, that doesn't interest me. That's a waste of my time. But if you want to trade me a ten for a one, you've got a deal. That's a significant trade that I'd be willing to make. After the service, I'll be standing in the foyer. I, listen, I'll match every 10 you got with a 1. That's a significant increase, all right? Now, we're all agreeing with that tonight, correct? Now, look, here's the world, and the world's looking for something. What, what was the king doing? He was inquiring. I got questions. I got answers. I mean, I need answers. None of my guys can answer those questions. Wait a minute. There's some significant young men over here, and they're 10 times better than all of what you have. Daniel chapter 5, verse 12 Listen close. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge of understanding, interpreting of dreams, showing of hard sentences. Do you know, in the last few months, I've been asked a lot of hard sentences. There's a lot of people in this world have a lot of questions. It'd be wonderful if God's people had some answers. And showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel. Daniel, watch this, was useful to God because he was significant. There was something different about him. Now we look at Jerusalem in Lamentations 4. The Bible says what was once significant, the temple of God was significant. It was different than anything else on the planet. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. The place he had set his name there, and yet now it's as pottery. It's plain, and it's ordinary. Now why did Daniel, and how did Daniel become significant? Daniel 1.8 says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He would not defile himself. Daniel was offered the king's wine, I mean the king's wine, the king's portion, the king's meat. Daniel knew it was wrong. Daniel says, I'm not going to put my hand to it. Why? He wanted to be significant so he could shine. And oh, did Daniel shine. I don't know that we would read about Daniel had Daniel given in. I don't know that we'd read about the wonderful story of what God used him to do in those three Hebrew boys that God used them to do if Daniel says, you know what? I'm going to weigh this out. I know God's not going to like it, but you know what? Just for the sake of fitting in and just for the sake that I'll be liked and accepted, I'm going to go ahead and eat it and I'm going to go ahead and drink it. 
he would have lost his shine. He would have lost what was sacred. And he would have lost his significance. Can I tell you, you'll not be able to convince me that Daniel was used to God for any other reason than the simple fact he was significant because he kept his life clean. He said, no, I'm not going to defile myself. Now, folks, we've got to understand tonight that we can put our hand to sin, yes, and God's merciful and God's gracious and God will forgive us. But understand, when you pull your hand back, you're going to be less significant, less useful to God. I believe tonight what God is searching for is some significant servants. I really do believe that. I'm just looking for some significant servants, looking for somebody that's different, somebody that's not ashamed to be set apart, to be sacred and useful to me. First Peter 2, 9, we know this, and I'll close. But you're a chosen generation a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. You know what peculiar means? It means significant, set aside, different. That ye should show forth. It almost sounds like he says that you would shine, doesn't it? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But I assure you, sin will rob you of your shine. You're going to miss out on the opportunity to shine. That's why God left us here. Then, number two, sin will leave you less sacred, and that means less useful to God. What was once used in the sanctuary is now just rubble out there in the street. And finally, sin will take away your significance. Folks, listen, there's no doubt tonight the church in general is less effective. Would you agree? The church is less effective, way less effective than we used to be. And there's no other reason tonight but sin. That's it. Now, we can argue about the results of it. Well, this, this, and no, it just goes back to sin. And folks, tonight, you can't get right from me. I can't get right from you. But the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that God's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Do you know what that means? We could get the windows of the lighthouse cleaned up tonight. That way, listen, by the grace of God, and he shouldn't forgive us, but he does. By the grace of God, we could get some shine. We could start shining. We could be more sacred and be used of God. And then finally, we could be more significant that people can look at our life and say, you know what? There's something about them. They may be weird, all right? They may be at church all the time. They don't take Sundays off, but there's something different about them. And when I got questions, they got answers. I'll promise you the world's looking for some significant servants. And if we're just willing tonight to keep our hands off of what God says, keep our hands off of, we'll find ourselves more useful, not less useful. Amen? Let's have our heads bowed tonight. Eyes closed. We're going to stay.